the opportunities come and because you've positioned yourself to be able to take advantage of them, you get to, right? So it's not that the mindset does all the work for you. It's that your mindset helps you put yourself in position to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they come. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you build financial independence through real estate investing and will help you build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Henry Washington. Today we're learning how Henry scaled to financial independence through real estate with over 70 doors from being a busy professional who was earning a lot of money but did not have the financial discipline to build wealth over time. We're talking about how he got his financial house in order, how he started his real estate portfolio rolling until today where he is once again a financially independent real estate investor with great things going on and so much more ahead of him in the future. Really great story, very inspiring, and a lot of lessons out there for those who are earning plenty of money but don't have the discipline to get your expenses down, save money, invest, and build wealth in the long run. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcasts user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're building wealth on Main Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Henry Washington. We're learning about how he got his financial house in order and ultimately scaled his real estate portfolio to over 70 doors to financial independence with so much more coming down the road. Great knowledge in this one. Let's go. Henry, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us quick about what you do in real estate? Yeah, man. I am typically, when people ask, I, I generally say I'm a buy and hold investor. That's because I got in this game to build long-term wealth. And, and so that's my, my boilerplate answer. But honestly, I would tell you that I'm a deal finder. I, I built my business in a way to kind of model what a wholesaler would do on the front side. And then I just close on everything and keep what I like. And then I'll turn around and sell the rest. Awesome. Very cool. Great way to build wealth over time. And you know, today I want to dig into your, your story of breaking into real estate investing and ultimately you know, scaling up to far past the point where, you know, where a lot of people reach. So Let's rewind the clock and get into that you know, formative experience that kicked you into the world of real estate investing. Yeah, man. So it's you know it's the, the superhero origin story, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So I started about five years ago. I bought my first property. So late 2017 is when I bought my first house. And kind of before all that, what happened was I felt like I did everything I you should as a you, I followed the American dream, like white picket fence story, right? I went to college. I got a degree. I got a technical degree so that I could make money pretty quickly. And 
was able to land a great job making six figures in the tech industry. And so I was working for Walmart, developing software and doing data analytics. And I made great money. The problem was that I spent all of that money. And so I often found myself after I got paid, you know, a week and a half into getting paid, I would be looking and trying to figure out like how I could, you know, make ends meet until I got paid again, because I would run out of money. And that was fine for me, but I got married pretty quick. And so I met my wife and married her 365 days later. And so that was a quick turnaround time for getting <laughs> married, but I didn't make any financial adjustments. And so I quickly learned that my wife did not want to spend all of our money before we got paid again. And so I learned that I had to make some adjustments. A couple of those lessons came from when we tried to buy a house, essentially the bank called and said, that if we wanted to buy a house, I couldn't be on the loan. It could only be in my wow. wife's name because my credit was so bad and I just wasn't or wasn't holding up my financial end of the bargain. And so that was a pretty big wake up call slash gut shot, right? Because I had done everything I thought I was supposed to do. I got the good grades. I got the degree. I got the good job. And here I was time for me to be this provider and I couldn't be it. And so you fast forward to after my wife buys the house and allows me to live in it. We are having conversations that married couples have, right? Like how, you know, what's our dream house going to look like and, and where are we, where are we going to live and how many kids are we going to have and where are we going to go on these fun vacations that we want to go on as a new family slash couple. And I was, you know, these are supposed to be fun conversations and I was freaking out because I was like, I couldn't even be on the loan for this house. Like, how can I afford a dream house? Like, how can I afford vacations? Like, I can't do any of these things. And so I freaked out in the middle of the night at three in the morning. I had a panic attack because I was just like my brain was racing about how my wife was going to leave me because I couldn't provide her the life that she deserves. And she was going to figure out that I, I look good on paper. But when you started doing the math, the math ain't mathing. And, you know, she was going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so that was that was what started. That's what spurred my panic attack. I woke up cold sweat, you know, breathing heavy, trying just freaking out. And the only thing I could think to do was to Google, how do I make extra money? Because I was like, if I can make more money, then I can afford these things. So I'll just figure out how to make more money. And it was through that search that I found, I started to learn these terms like cash flow and appreciation and passive income and generational wealth. Like these are terms I'd never looked hard at before. But what I started to notice in all my searching was that the common denominator among all of those terms was the ownership of real estate, right? Owning real estate gets you all of those things, right? There's some other hustles that get you one of those things or maybe two of those things, but real estate can kind of get you all of them. And so I was like, all right, well, it sounds like real estate's the thing I got to do. And so I started looking more into real estate. This is all at three in the morning, right? <laughs> so I started looking more into like real estate and I landed on this video, long, long story short, it was a kid. It was doing a TED talk. It was a kid. The TED talk was about how to build financial freedom through passive income. And he was just saying that the way he did it was through real estate and that other people do it other ways. But if you can build up enough passive income, you can retire and real estate worked well for him. And I was like, well, if this kid figured it out, I guess it's achievable and I'll go do it. 
And I made a decision at three in the morning that I was going to be a successful real estate investor. And, and, and from there, that's when we started down the path. I woke up the next morning and told my wife that I had an epiphany in the middle of the night and we were going to be real estate investors. And that's how we were going to achieve the dreams that we wanted and the life that we wanted. And she was like, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> Which, <laughs> looking back, like I couldn't be on the loan for the house that we were in. So I'm sure anything that I told her that was like better than where we were, she was going to be like, yeah, let's do it. So let's do it. So that was that was my epiphany moment. It was 90 days after that epiphany or panic attack, whichever way you want to phrase it. I bought my first house. So the, the turnaround went fairly quickly. Wow. Okay. So I think a lot of a lot of people have some kind of formative event, something yours is definitely very powerful. And they have that, hey, I want to do this. They get all gung ho about it and then they don't do it. Yep. Right. They they don't take that next step to close on that that first house within 90 days or you know, whatever amount of time after that. They hit some brick wall. What do you think separated you from those people or like enabled you to really take that first step and, and make it happen? Yeah, that's a great question. So there was looking back, I'm able to kind of analyze what I did. Right. By no, by no means was I like, I had the forethought to understand the power and the things that I did when it was actually happening. But looking back, here's what happened. I made a decision at three in the morning. I decided I was going to be a sex, successful real estate investor. And there's a ton of power in decisions, right? It's to decide like the, the suffix of the word decide is side, like suicide, the kill off, right? There's no other option, right? It's this or nothing. And so when I made that decision, I told my brain to go figure out how to do this, to be open to figuring it out. And I think a lot of the times what happens with people is they try, right? We say, let's try something. And when you try, when you tell your brain to try something, you're essentially telling it to help you do it until you can't figure out how to go forward. And then it doesn't have to figure out how to help you anymore because <laughs> you just told it to try it, tried, right? Like, and so I, 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 I had this mindset of, I am going to be a successful real estate investor. And I meant that. I meant that in my heart. I meant that in my soul. I meant that in my being, like, I'm going to figure this out. There's a plan A. There's no plan B. It's going to work or it's going to work. Right. And so by doing that, you turn your brain on to helping you navigate the difficulties that are going to come your way. You know, I, I tell people I equate it to the, to the red truck theory, right? Like, what do they call it? Pavlov's law. Like if, when you, if you never bought a red truck and you buy a red truck, every truck you see on the road going forward is a red truck. Like you never saw one before, but now that you have one, there's a bunch. It's not that there were any more after you bought it than before. It's just that your brain is open to what they are. Right. And you see them more often. It's the same thing with investing, right? Like it's the same thing with starting a business. If you tell yourself you're going to be successful, then your brain will now help you navigate that. And so I made a decision and then I surrounded myself with people who are successful investors. Right. And so what that looked like for me was, it was, like I said, I wasn't that smart. It was just like, all right, I want to be an investor. I don't know how to do it. Well, let me find people who do and let me be around them. So hopefully I can learn what they're doing. Right. That was my train of thought. And so I Googled like real estate investors in Northwest Arkansas, where I am. And then I found, you know, real estate investors associations. I didn't know those were a thing, but by Googling and trying to find like-minded people, I ended up in RIA meetings. I went to every meeting I could. It didn't matter. Like every, if there was investors in a room, I got in that room and I got in that room consistently. And I think that's where people fall off is people surround themselves with like-minded people for like a month or two, right? They go to a meeting for a month and then they go to the next meeting and then, you know, then they 
then life happens, right? And they don't go to the third meeting or the fourth meeting, and then they might show back up in a couple of months. But the inconsistency doesn't help you. It's the relentless consistency that helps. I was in every room I could with investors, and that did a few things. It made people see me as an investor before I actually was. Because if you're consistently in that room, people are naturally going to start to associate you with that thing. And then I made sure I sat around the power players, like the sit in the power seats, right? I got in those rooms and I sat front and center, front and center, because I wanted to absorb as much information as possible. But what that also did, I started to realize like people just thought I was this, you know, like, you know, <laughs> like, cause I was sitting up there with all the people that were doing the deal. So they assumed it was me as well. Right. But that's a good thing, right? Because people are associating you with that. And, and that can bring you relationships. It can bring you deal flow. It can bring you money, right? People will associate you with a mover and a shaker. The other thing I did was I told everybody that I was an investor. Everybody. That's how I introduced myself. You know, in this world, you get what you give. What you put out is what you get back. And so I wanted to put out into the universe that I was a real estate investor so that the things that come with that would come back to me. And so that's literally how I found my first deal. A buddy of mine heard that. I needed to, heard that I was buying houses and he was in a really tough spot with a property and called me and said, Hey, I got to sell this house. I got to sell it in 30 days because I have to have this amount of money to go buy this other piece of property for my church. And if I, if I don't, I'm in big trouble. Right. So like, I, here's all I need to sell it for. I don't care what it's worth. I just need this much money. Can you buy it for this price? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like I had no idea how, <laughs> but that was. <laughs> But that was, that was like, it was my moment, right? It was what I'd been preparing myself for. So that was, uh, those were the practical applications. And I know it sounds real. Like, you know, people say you, your mindset, just change your mindset. You'll change your life. But man, it's really true. Changing your mindset helps to, helps you to position yourself. And if you position yourself appropriately, the opportunities come. And because you've positioned yourself to be able to take advantage of them, you get to. Right. So it's not that the mindset does all the work for you. It's that your mindset helps you put yourself in position to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they come. I love that. And I, I fully agree with that. And I think sometimes in this space, when we talk about mindset, it it's kind of presented in a way counter to what you said, it's kind of presented in a way that you just get your mindset and then it all happens yeah. for you. And that's just yeah. not true. You have to go do it. Right. Your mindset just sets you up. So you you decided you got your mindset in the right place. You put yourself in the rooms with successful investors. You presented yourself as an investor. You you know put it out there, but you kept the networking and, and building your network. And then you got that first deal and and moved forward with it. So tell us about that deal, and then I want to learn how you ultimately scaled from it because then that's another kind yeah. of firewall that people hit is that first yeah. deal. And then they're like, "Well, I'm out of money. How am I going to go do another one?" So tell us about that one. Then we'll learn how you scaled. Well, yeah, absolutely. It kind of, it kind of was a, I kind of had to solve the scale problem up front because people <laughs> say, people say I did my first deal and now I'm out of money. Well, I was out of money before I did my first deal. I only, I only had a thousand dollars in my savings account when I, when I got landed this first lead. Right. But what I was able to do was I didn't, oh, what's the best way to phrase this? I think we make decisions for people right away. Like we decide what we can and can't do based on what we think somebody else is going to tell us without actually doing the research. True. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. Like we make decisions for people all the time. I didn't allow myself to do that. When my buddy said, Hey, I need to sell this house. Can you buy it? All logic leads to like, I should have said no. Right. I didn't have the money. I didn't know how to do it. Right. Like I had none of the things that you would think you need to do that. 
but I didn't make decisions for other people. I said, yes, I said, yes, I can buy that house. I didn't know how, but that didn't mean I couldn't do it. Just mean I hadn't figured out how to do it yet. And so I said, yeah, I can buy it. And then I put it under contract and I, here's how, here's how green I was. I didn't even know that I needed to put it under contract, right? <laughs> like I had to Google, how, how do you buy a house without a real estate agent? Right. And it was like, well, you got to put it under contract. And I was like, cool. How do you put a house under contract? What is under contract? <laughs> right. Mean? And it was like, well, you need to sign a contract. And I was like, great. Where do I find a contract? Right. <laughs> like I literally went through these Googling steps, mm -hmm. found a contract online, like printed it out. I'm, I'm like, changed some names and like we signed that contract. That's, that's not something everyone should do. You should obviously talk to a lawyer, go through the right steps. But I, I just want to put that out there for people because I was like, I didn't know how to do it, but that didn't mean it was going to stop me from doing it. Right. And so we signed this contract and then I was like, all right, sweet. Now I need some money. Who has money? Banks have money. I'll just go to a bank. I went to the closest bank close to my office at work. <laughs> like that was my, that was my bank evaluation process. Which one is close to me? I walked into the bank. I had a contract in my hand and I said, Hey, I want to talk to somebody about buying this property. And I literally showed them the contract and they sent me a loan officer from the commercial lending side of the, of the bank. It was a small local bank. And they said, Hey, this is a really good deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's why I'm buying it. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's exactly why I'm buying it. And so I, they said, well, we would love to lend you on this deal. And you're just going to need a 15% down payment. You have the 15%. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course I do. I absolutely didn't. Let me just right? go find it. Right, right, right. You know, I said, I got time, right? So I'll go figure it out. And that's where I was able to leverage my network. So then I knew I could get 85% of the purchase price. I needed to go figure out where to find 15%. I went to those investors that I had been around every single week, multiple times a week. And I said, how the heck do you guys do this? Where do I find the money to do this? And one of the investor friends who actually ended up being a business partner down the road just sat there and he brainstormed with me on the phone. And he was like, you know, how much stuff could you sell? Not enough stuff, right? <laughs> right. Like we went through all of these ways to come up with money. And he was like, well, you could borrow against a 401k. And I was like, well, what's that mean? And he was like, yeah, well, you don't have to cash it out. Like, cause then you'll pay penalties and fees, but you could borrow against it. So you can borrow the down payment. Typically your employer is going to take your payments for that back out of your tech, but pre-tax. So it actually reduce your taxable income and you do have to pay the money back with interest, but it's your money. So the interest goes to you. He's like, so if you can borrow from that 401k, buy this property, keep it as a rental, raise the rent so that you're cash flowing and then your cash flow pays back your 401k loan. Technically your tenants are paying back your loan for you. You get to buy the property and you get all the other benefits of the, of the cash flow, the appreciation, the depreciation, the tax benefits. Right. And I was like, well, this sounds like my winner. I'll just do that. Now I need to go find a 401k. <laughs> and so that's what, that's what we did. I, I, I didn't have one. Like I said, I wasn't that financially smart, but I was married to somebody who was much smarter than me. And I went to my wife and I said, Hey, Hey, so guess what? We are going to be real estate investors. If we can borrow 20 grand from your 401k to buy us this house. Right. And so uh, that's what we did. She was like, yeah, say that. Let's do it. Say less. We borrowed the money. <laughs> we borrowed the money. We bought the house. We raised the rents and started paying us and paying us back. And within 90 days of my panic attack, I now owned an asset that was paying me cash flow. And then the answer to your second question is how did we scale? Well, the bank called me and said, Hey, there's equity in this property. We want to give you a line of credit on that equity so you can bring us more deals like this. And so then after a few days, I had access to another 20 grand from a line of credit on a HELOC on that house to go do it again. 
And we did, we started rinsing and repeating that down payment to buy more and more property. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're out there now, fast forward to today, you're out there, others, how to succeed in real estate and, and helping them, you know, providing them with that roadmap, if you will, to succeed in, in real estate today. What do you see as maybe the top couple of mistakes or, or misconceptions that newer investors are making when they get into the space? Yeah, I think the the biggest hurdle for new investors is the fact that real estate is so flexible, right? There's so many options and it gets overwhelming because like who wants to go research everything they need to know about single family and multifamily and apartments and storage units and right. And, and, and they just get overwhelmed. That's a ton of information to go analyze and then figure out what works best for you. And so, you know, and then there's all these exit strategies, right? There's there's rentals and flips and Airbnbs and 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 so people just get overwhelmed. And so I think new investors need to put the blinders on. I think you should focus on the lowest common denominator, right? The lowest common denominator for success in real estate is a good deal. Because it doesn't matter if you have to flip, if you want to flip wholesale, wholetail, rent, rent, like all of those require you to buy it right. And so if you can just focus on finding that good deal and then buying that good deal and put the blinders on and don't do anything else until that's what you're good at, then you'll get to figure the rest out along the way. And so I think as a new investor, the two things you need to focus on are learning what a good deal looks like in your market, right? And then figuring out how to find those good deals. One, two, that's all you should focus on. So that that learning what a new a good deal looks like, that's an interesting point, especially newer investors who are attending all these networking events, local mm-hmm. networking events. A lot of those events will have speakers many times who are selling a program. There's nothing wrong with that, but newer investors can kind of get pulled in 20 different directions. You know, there's this idea of shiny object syndrome and they don't, they get so distracted. They don't like focus on one aspect and continue working on that. But it sounds like you didn't fall prey to the, the shiny object syndrome when you were getting started. No, no, I didn't. And that's because I just wanted to get really good at finding good deals. So once I bought that first house, I was like, I got to figure out how to do this again and again. And the best way to figure out how to do that was to figure out how to find good deals. Right. And so that's what helped me be successful. And so I I encourage you, you should go to all these meetings, even if they're selling something, right. You don't have to buy it. You got to put your blinders on. You're there. You should be there for two reasons. You should be there to figure out how to add value to successful people in the room. Right. Because if you can add value to them, then human nature takes over and they're going to want to help you. So if you lead by helping, because everybody walks in those rooms and they think about what can I get from this? How can I take from this event? But if you can walk into that room and figure out how can I be of service to somebody who's successful, they're naturally going to want to help you be successful, right? If you lead with service, nobody else does that. And so you're going to stand out and they're going to want to help you. So figure out how you can help somebody. And that can be easy. It can be like, it doesn't have to be in the real estate industry. Just listen when you're talking to people listen and they'll, you'll hear things that they need and maybe you can provide something. Maybe you can connect them with something who can help them, right? Connect them with someone who can help them and then just do that thing. Help them without being asked, right? Just say, hey, I overheard you talking to so-and-so about X, Y, and Z and I have a buddy who can do A, B, and C. Why don't I make that connection and maybe you can get some help there, right? And then you just make that connection, right? And that helps. Maybe it's like, hey, maybe they're the person putting on the meeting. You know what they need? Everything. They need somebody to help them keep track of the people in the room. They need somebody to help them greet people as they come in the door. They need somebody to help them, you know, reach out to people after they've left the event, right? Just say, hey, I know you're putting on this event. I would love to be making an administrative help to you. Is there, can I collect emails for you? Can I collect names at the door for you? Can I, 
collect phone numbers for you and then provide those to you in a list so that you can use that to reach out after, right? Maybe you can go drive for dollars and build a driving for dollars list and you can walk in the room and say, hey, I see that you're doing a lot of deals. I have a driving for dollars list. I'd be happy to give that to you. And then if you want to market to that list, if you get a deal, I'd love to just shadow you on that deal, right? Like there's tons of ways to provide value. So look to provide value and then talk to those investors who are doing the deals. They'll tell you what a good deal looks like. Everybody loves talking about their deal. Say, hey, tell me what, tell me about your last flip. What did it look like? What'd you buy it for? Where was it? How much did you put into it? What'd you sell it for? They'll tell you all these things and you can start learning what good deals look like in your market. And once you know what those good deals look like, now you just got to go figure out how to find them. So pick one method, one strategy for finding good deals. Maybe it's direct mail. Maybe it's the MLS. Maybe it's cold calling. Whatever your method is, relentlessly pursue it until you get a deal. And then once you have a deal, all the rest of the stuff will come into place. You'll be so motivated to go figure out who your contractor is going to be or who your title company is going to be or like all the things you need to take down the deal. You don't need those until you have a deal. So we get the deal first and you'll figure the rest out. And I love that. And, and there are a few, I think there's so much I love about that. I think a few things, if I could pull out of that first as somebody who has run a meetup myself for years, you know, having somebody help is amazing and offer to help and bringing ideas. I think the other big thing that you're, you're doing there is you're providing ideas and you're not just going to somebody and asking, Hey, how can I help you? You're coming up with an idea and saying, would this be of value to you rather than basically, Hey, give me something to do. Right. That, that right. just gives the person another job. 100%. If you want to help someone, the worst thing you can do is go to them and say, how can I help you? Cause now all you've done is given a busy person, another task. Because now they have to figure out how this person, they have no idea who they are, or what their talents are, how they can help you. No, just go and offer help. If they don't need that kind of help that you're offering, they'll tell you. But if they do, they'll say, yeah, that would be awesome. I had a student reach out to me the other day and he said, hey, would you like some help with organizing all the meetings you've recorded and putting them in a place where all your other students can get to them? Yes. Yes, I would. Please go do that right? Like just offer what you can do instead of asking a busy person how you can help them because all that does is give them another chore. Absolutely. Even if, even if you're offering something that ultimately they say, ah, that wouldn't be a value to me, but you know, thanks. That's still better than how can I help you? That still is, you know, more proactive. I, I've had so many of those offers and I appreciate the, the sentiment yes. behind it, but for you as somebody who wants to offer help, if you have an idea, that is so much more valuable. And, and well, e well, even if you offer help and it gets turned down, I'm going to remember that Absolutely. you tried to help me and then I'm either going to want to help you or I might go, you know what? I don't need that, but I do need this. Right. And then now all of a sudden, you know how you can help me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Love it. All right. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Henry, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know. This is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I think I'm ready. I'm sure you're good. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than 
in your education? Oh, perfect. Yeah. The best investment I ever made is probably I bought eight units early on in my investing for, I think we bought all eight units for a total of 200,000 because they were, nice. but now we're getting, you know, between 800 and $1,000 per door in those eight units after we've renovated them. So it's, it's by far my best ROI on a deal. Awesome. Awesome. Great deal. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I'd say the worst investment I ever made was I bought 12 units in a city about an hour south of me. I bought them because on paper, they cash flowed tremendously well. And then I got like, I got deer in the headlights at like, yeah, look at that cash flow. I want to buy it. And I bought it and I didn't think through all of the other things that come with that asset class that I bought. And so I bought this property. We started to renovate some units and then we started to get tenants in there. And then I started to realize that the the class of tenant that I was going to have to manage in service wasn't going to be fun for me to manage in service. And not that a lower class property is a bad investment. It's absolutely not. But what I learned by buying that property was I learned what I didn't want to buy because typically the kind of tenant that I was getting, like this was their last place. Like if I had to evict a tenant from this place, I may be making somebody homeless and that didn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. I did. I, I, you know, it's not that people in a D class property or C minus class property are bad people. They're not. But at the end of the day, you're running a business. And if I have to put somebody out, I didn't want to be putting people on the street. Like that just didn't make me feel good. And so I learned what type of asset I didn't want to buy by buying that property. That's very, a very important lesson. Very important lesson. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson I've learned in business and investing is that this real estate business is not a real estate business. It is a people business, Mm -hmm. that transaction real estate. And the, the minute that I learned that this is, this real estate business isn't about me and it's not about houses. It's about being of service to the people that I'm interacting with and providing a certain, and helping them solve a problem the more deals I started to do. When I stopped walking in houses and thinking, how do I close this deal? And started walking in houses and saying, how can I be of service to this person? How can I help them? Even if that help means I don't buy this house, how do I help them? Because they're contacting me because they need help on some level. I started to close more deals. And we've we've done all kinds of stuff for people. We've fixed people's cars so they could continue to go back to work. Fixed their car. I never bought their house, but I fixed their car because it's what they needed. Right. We've bought, uh, um, you know, appliances for people. Walked in a house and this lady's washing machine was falling apart. I didn't end up buying her house, but she was an old lady and it was like literally held together by tape. Called my appliance guy and I said, Hey, go pick up her washer, give her, give her another one. Right. Never bought her house, but it felt like the right thing to do. We've walked in houses and paid people's mortgages for a couple of months because they really didn't need to sell their house. They didn't want to sell their house. They were doing it because they thought they had to. What they needed was time. And so we caught them up on their payments so they could have more time to figure out how to actually make some money off their property. And so those are, once I started figuring out how to be of service to people, more deals come. Wow. I love it. I love it. Lead with value, lead with service, and it'll come back to you. And Henry, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and leading with knowledge and and assistance for our listeners. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, the best place to reach me is on Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram, or you can check out my website at www.henrywashington.com. 
Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.